The following message is by Pastor Steve Lee of Emmanuel Community Church. More information about the ministry of Emmanuel Community Church can be found online at www.emmanuelcommunity.org. Our text this morning comes from Luke chapter 18, verses 35 to 43, and it reads, As he drew near to Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging. And hearing a crowd going by, he inquired what this meant. They told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. And he cried out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And those who were in front rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped commanded him to be brought to him. And when he came near, he asked them, What do you want me to do for you? He said, Lord, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, Recover your sight. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him, glorifying God. And all the people, when they saw it, gave praise to God. Let's pray. God, grant to us understanding of the meaning of this story of um, how this blind beggar opens our eyes to see our own need and to recognize the Christ who can answer our deepest needs in our life. For we pray these things in his name. Amen. So the story begins with Jesus um, passing through the town of Jericho, which is not that far from Jerusalem. One of the things I mentioned is that uh, for months now, as we've been covering the latter half of Luke, uh, it's this long but inevitable journey that Jesus is making to Jerusalem, where he knows he's going to lay down his life, where he'll be taken in prison and crucified. And so he's now approaching Jericho, and as he's in the outskirts of the town, walking on that roadside, a blind beggar hears this commotion that he's not used to hearing, a large crowd passing by on the road. And so because he cannot see, he doesn't know what's going on. And so he starts asking, what's happening? What's going on? What's happening here? And so one of the people in the crowd says, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. Before going any further, I want us to recognize the kind of life that this blind beggar must have known. We live in a, in a society and in a time uh, that gives more consideration to those with special needs who are disabled than has ever existed in any other society in history. Now, it's not perfect. We still have a ways to go, but it's pretty good, right? I mean, every parking lot in the United States reserves the closest spaces to the handicapped. I mean, you can't pull up anywhere without seeing these handicap signs. By law, every public building must have handicapped access walkways. Uh, If it's multi-story, you need to put a lift or an elevator or something to assist the disabled. But in the days of the Bible, no such consideration was given to the disabled. In fact, if you were handicapped, there was a widely held belief that either you or your parents had done some kind of sin to deserve this as a punishment. So there wasn't much sympathy to the disabled. The thinking was, 
you, you know, you, you get what you deserve in life, so you must have clearly done something to deserve this. There, were, there was nothing for them, nothing offered to help them get through life. The only hope for survival for someone like this blind man was begging, hoping that enough people may take pity on you to throw you a few pennies every day so that you could buy a little bread and live another day. It was like an animal level of survival that these people lived in. I, I experienced that firsthand living for five years in Africa when you would see these crippled people everywhere you go in any urban area in, in Africa, just begging, living in rags, looking like they hadn't bathed in years, and just looking, you know, just utterly miserable. And their only thought, I think, is just live another day. Get through another day. Faced with the desperation of a situation, the blind man starts shouting at, the, at Jesus and starts saying, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. He makes such a loud ruckus that the crowd angrily turns on him. And he begins, they begin yelling at him, be quiet. Quit making a scene. This isn't about you. Go back to the gutter where you crawled out from and just shut up. You're making a fool of yourself. But the beggar refuses to bow to this pressure. And despite the anger of the crowd turning on him, he shouts even more loudly, Son of David, have mercy on me. Have mercy on me. Until Jesus finally stops and takes notice and attends to him. What I find so interesting about this story is that the blind man is the only one who truly sees the situation accurately. He's the only one that had the right read on the situation. You see, the crowd reacts with anger and indignation because this beggar is making a scene, shouting at Jesus for attention. In their eyes, he was acting in a totally inappropriate manner. But from the beggar's perspective, he must have been thinking, are good manners the most important issue in this situation right now? I mean, is that really what it's about, is being polite? I think what the beggar was thinking was more like this. Look at my life. Look at my life. Look at what I wake up to every day. And here comes Jesus this man who may actually be able to save me from this misery, and you think I ought to shut up out of politeness? Are you guys insane? I am going to shout even louder until Jesus turns to me. You know, a few months ago I shared about a vacation that our family had taken to Grand Haven, Michigan, a couple years ago, where we were at the beach one stormy day, and my two eldest daughters, Joy and Noel, almost drowned when they were swimming in Lake Michigan because they got sucked out into the open waters by this riptide. And, uh, you know, this teenage boy had heard my girl screaming, and he swam out there, but he wasn't strong enough to bring them both back, so he only brought Noel back. And so Joy had been treading water for over half an hour in these choppy waters with two, three-foot waves. And I had shared with you at that time, you know, 
uh, the week before we had actually played an ICC softball game, and I had torn my calf on my left leg. So I was like hobbled with one leg and two arms. And so I could barely tread water myself. And, you know, panic struck. And I realized that my daughter could literally be within minutes of drowning out there in Lake Michigan. And yet here is the, the, the totally crazy thing about it is even despite that desperation of the situation, in that moment, I was actually wrestling in my heart with the embarrassment of behaving inappropriately. Okay? What I mean is there were other people swimming around there who were oblivious to what was the drama that was happening right then. And I knew I was not strong enough to swim out there to my daughter, and I needed somebody's help. But I was thinking, these people are enjoying their holiday. Like, I can't, like, disturb them. What, what right do I have to bother these people? What right do I have to even ask some of them to risk their own life to go out there and try to rescue my daughter. This was literally the logic that was going in my head was good manners. I wanted to uh, behave appropriately. And then I find <coughs> And then I finally came to my senses. And I said, "My daughter is dying out there." And so I abandoned any sense of good manners or decorum, and I began to shout shamelessly, help, help, someone help. My daughter is out there, and she is drowning. And all the laughter and all the noise of play suddenly died, and everyone was just staring at me. And it was out of those shouts, those desperate shouts for help, that these teenage boys swam out there to rescue her. And saved her life. It's crazy, isn't it? When you think about that. Here is this desperate situation, and I just want to behave appropriately while my daughter is dying out there. You see, there is an embarrassment that comes with desperation, isn't there? It's embarrassing. And that embarrassment can be so great. That we don't even ask for help when we are in desperate need. And that's how the crowd felt that day. What are you doing? Why are you acting like this? This is utterly inappropriate. Behave yourself. Jesus is passing through and he's like, Am I the only one that gets it here? This is a guy that can change my life. I'm going to shout until he hears me. You see, none of us wants to be seen as needy, do we? We all want to project an air of confidence that we've got things under control, that our life is in order. But sometimes the most honest thing that we can do is to acknowledge our desperation and need, like this beggar did. You know, during our early years of parenting, it was exhausting. Because our kids needed constant help and attention. And many of you are in that life stage right now, right? I mean, they can do nothing on their own. Every time they brush their teeth, you got to be there. Every time they get dressed, 
you got to lay out their clothes and even put them on for them. Every bath. They cannot even wipe after using the bathroom by themselves. So you got to wipe for them, okay? We had to help them with everything. But as our kids got older, they needed and, more importantly, wanted less and less of our help. You know, when the kids were young, Betty and I longed for the day when they would finally be independent, you know? I can hardly wait till they can bathe themselves, brush their own teeth. But strangely now, I kind of miss it, you know? I miss how much they needed us. In fact, this is the problem nowadays, is even when they need our help, they don't ask for it. Why? Because they crave independence, They want to prove that they can do it on their own. And unfortunately, this is a habit that none of us seems to outgrow in adulthood, right? There is this fierce independent streak in every one of us, and that can be deadly to our spiritual growth. Dallas Willard says, The power of asking is so great that it makes many people uncomfortable. Don't you know of people who will go considerably out of their way to avoid someone who is apt to ask them for something? They do not wish to feel the power of the request. Who really enjoys eating a sandwich in front of the family dog, right? Um, Willard is describing the awkwardness and the discomfort all of us feel when it comes to asking help from others, both when you're on the receiving end as well as when you're on the giving end. None of us wants to feel like we're a burden on somebody else, do we? And the truth is, we tend to have a pretty low opinion of those rare people that we come across in life who have no problem asking constant favors of us, right, and others, right? We don't think, oh, what a great friend. We think, what a deadbeat. Why don't you get your life together? Why don't you quit being a burden on everybody, right? That's how we treat people who act like this in a needy way. Why are you so needy? Why can't you get your life together? Why don't you act like a grown-up for a change? You know, a few months ago, I was actually at the ministry center at the office. And uh, on that day, uh, I was just getting ready to go out to lunch after working in the morning. And as I got my jacket on and was getting ready to head out there to get some lunch, I realized that I forgot my wallet at home. Uh... And I didn't know what to do. Um, there was actually, no one else was in the office that morning except for Frank Pizor, who's uh, on staff at Harvest, our sister church. Uh, but I didn't want to ask him to borrow some cash, you know? It felt humiliating. Like, oh, you forgot my, I forgot my wallet. Can I have $10 so I could buy some lunch? Uh, I didn't want to do that. So I was just looking around my office, and I had some Ritz crackers. So I was like, it's not much, but I can make a lunch of this. But here was the thing was, uh, I skipped breakfast that morning, so I, I was really hungry. I hadn't eaten anything all day, and the thought of making Ritz crackers my lunch was so depressing that the more I thought about it, I was like, forget this. And I just knocked on Frank's door and my tail between my legs. I just walked in there and go, uh, can I have $10? Because like I have no money and I, I'm hungry and I want to eat lunch. So, I mean, of course, 
Frank lent me the $10, you know. It was almost embarrassing for him going, oh, yeah, yeah, of course. He gave me $20. You know, I, I only need $10. I only need $10. But the more I thought about that, the more I realized how dumb it was, right, that I was struggling with this embarrassment of such a small request like, who wouldn't do that for a coworker? And he's a pastor, right? Like, is he really going to say no? Or does he even care? And yet, what was it inside of me that was willing to eat Ritz crackers for lunch rather than asking him for a little cash? This is the weird, stubborn pride that is operative in all of us, isn't it? Like, I'm not going to go ask for money. I'm not going to beg like that. But as Christians this fierce independent streak that makes us too embarrassed to ask for help has to be broken. It has to be broken. Dallas Willard says, the picture of prayer that emerges from the life and teaching of Jesus in the Gospels is quite clear. Basically, it is one of asking, requesting things, from God. Now, I want to say this. If you grew up in church, you've probably heard a sermon or two on prayer. And one of the things that you get taught from very early years is that prayer should not be just a laundry list of things that you're asking of God, right? And you probably have all learned like that Acts mnemonic, right? A-C-T-S, adoration, uh, confession, thanksgiving, and then supplication, which is asking, right? And so until you do those three things, you shouldn't ask, right? You got to do those things. And there's truth to that. There is truth to that. Prayer should be more than just a laundry list of things we want from God. But that shouldn't diminish from Jesus' own teaching on prayer, which does invite us to ask him for the things that we want and need in our life. It says in Luke 11, verse 9 to 10, So I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks, the door will be opened. You see, here is the craziest part of that story was the blind man received his sight that day because he was the only one with the faith and humility to ask Jesus for that help. Everyone in the crowd was just watching as a bystander. But here was a man that received because he was willing to ask. And I think here's the truth. I think many of us carry around burdens that are crushing us, but which we haven't surrendered to God in prayer. That's the crazy part, isn't it? Is that we try to carry our burdens on our own when Jesus says, I will carry those burdens for you. It says in verses 40 to 41, And Jesus stopped and commanded him to be brought to him. And when he came near, he asked him, What do you want me to do for you? Throughout the Gospels, Jesus says some things that makes you scratch your head in utter confusion. I think this is one of them. I wonder if this beggar thought that Jesus was playing a joke on him or some kind of a mind game. Um, What do I want? (laughs) 
what do I want? Like, I want a new belt. What do you think I want? I want to see. I want to see, Jesus. I want to see. Um, I think, though, Jesus asks this question because it's where all of our prayers need to start. It's the beginning of prayer when we are asked, what do you want? What is it that you want from God? Um, I shared this a few messages ago on that sermon on persevering prayer, but I think this is many times we get so worried about praying the appropriate prayers, asking for the things that we think God wants us to ask for, which should be part of the process, but at the end of the day, we're not sure. And so we don't pray at all because we second-guess ourselves and think, well, I don't know. Is that really appropriate? for me to ask that from God. And this is what I said in that message, and I'm going to say it again. Even if you're not sure that you're asking for the right things, let your prayer begin honestly with the things you want, with your desires. Why? Because by bringing your desires to God in prayer, you are surrendering those desires to Him and inviting him to speak into your life however he chooses. In other words, that prayer begins a conversation with God in which you are honestly telling him the desires of your heart, but you're asking him, speak into that God. Let me know, is this right? Is this what I should desire? Show me your ways. Show me your heart. A couple weeks ago, uh, Bethany uh, sat for placement exams at Stevenson High School, and she needed to do that because right now she attends Christian Heritage Academy, which is not one of the feeder junior highs to the Stevenson School District. So going for a, to a private school, she has to take these placement exams because they just don't accept the classes she's taken for granted as they would in those other schools. Uh, so that morning as she was going through the testing, my, I just, my heart became really heavy and I began to worry for her. And I kept thinking, I really hope she does well on these placement exams so that she could get into the top honors classes at Stevenson. And so that morning I began to pray for her and say, God, help her through these placement exams and let her get into the honors classes. That's just where I started because that was where my desire was. That's what I wanted. But as I began to pray for her scores, it was an interesting conversation that arose between me and God where I felt like through the Spirit, He was saying, so why do you want her in all the honors classes? Why do you want her to academically do so well? Well, because her sisters and her brother has done so well. And I don't know because it'll let her have a good future and she could go to a good college. And I was like, well, why do you want her to go to a good college? And why do you? And, and through this morning of prayer for my daughter Bethany, that prayer went in some really interesting journeys where by the end of it, this was honestly my prayer was, I just want her to be a woman of God who loves you regardless of what college she gets into, 
or what career she holds. Amen? You see, that prayer just began with my heart's desire, but it ended with God's desire for her as I brought that to the Lord in prayer. So here is my question to you. What do you want? What do you want God to do for you? Bring it to Him in prayer and let it start a conversation with God in which you are inviting Him to speak to your heart. Let it be the honest starting point of a conversation with Him in which you invite Him to speak into your life. Even more important than this blind man's recognition of his desperate condition was the recognition that Jesus was the answer to his need. No matter what your problem, Jesus is the answer. And I know that sounds so cliche, but this is the truth. No matter what problem you face in your life, Jesus is the answer. You know, as your pastor, I feel this constant pressure to be the kind of leader who has all the right answers, who can solve all of your problems. But if my years of pastoral ministry have taught me anything, it's how limited I am in my own strength to fix anybody's problems, including my own. In other words, the best thing that I can do as your pastor is to point you to Jesus who has every answer that you need in your moment of need. Going back to that question that Jesus asked the blind beggar, what do you want? I think this. If he had, asked, if he had been asked that question by anybody else on any other day, I think he would have answered it really differently, don't you? I think if someone came off the street and said, hey, dude, what do you want? I think you might have answered something like, well, you know what? I really wish someone would give me a new bowl to collect my pennies because this one's cracked and junky. I want George's spot over there by the marketplace where there's a lot more foot traffic because he collects a lot more pennies than I do. If I could get his spot, I'm just waiting for him to die so I could move into his territory. I wish I could have one of those shiny new canes made out of cedar wood from Lebanon. But asked by Jesus on that day, what do you want? Suddenly, a whole new world of possibilities opened up to this blind beggar. And he says, I want to see. I want to see. I don't want a better spot to beg. I don't want a new bowl to collect my pennies. I don't want a new cane. I want to see. I want to see. I want to see. You see, I think this parable, this story, is trying to teach us with God, all things are possible. Here's the truth. Struggle with a problem long enough and all of us end up in the same place of diminished expectations, right? What do you want? I just want everyone to mind their own business in this house. 
I wish my husband and I could just have one good day where we're not at each other's throats. I just want to make it through this life. Diminished expectations. But I think what we see in the story is that Jesus is inviting us to dream bigger dreams than we can even imagine. I want my parents to be saved. I want my marriage to be healed. I want my spouse to rediscover joy and get out of her depression. I want my loved one who's fallen away to return to the Lord. I want my heart to be revived with the love of God that I once had. I think many of us are afraid to pray prayers like this because we hedge our bets. We don't want to be disappointed. But God desires to do so much more in our lives than maybe we want for ourselves. Jesus said to him, Recover your sight. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him, glorifying God. And all the people, when they saw it, gave praise to God. I think the essence of the Christian life can be summed by Psalm 50, verse 15, that says, Call upon me in the day of trouble. I will deliver you, and you will honor me. That's the Christian life, isn't it? Call on me in your day of trouble. I will deliver you. And through that, you will have a testimony to declare to the world that God is great. Let's pray. You know, as I was preparing this message, um, God drew me back to some of my earlier days of the kind of prayers that I used to pray um, as a teenager, as a younger person, as a college student. And um, Gosh, you know, I, I remember some of the bold prayers that I used to pray and actually seeing God answer them pretty spectacularly. And I, I even thought back to my days in Africa, sometimes staying at the bedside of somebody that's at death's door and laying hands on them and watching God miraculously heal them, praying for AIDS patients that were probably hours away from death and watching them make full recoveries. And I've been thinking about these past five years six years now, back in America since returning from Africa. And I think there's something so pernicious about life in America that uh, everything just comes so easily to us, you know? Like, you don't need prayer because you got money. Money seems to solve everything, right? Like, you can buy your own way to security, leisure, pleasure. But, you know, you hit some places where you realize... These are things that money can't solve. And uh, maybe it's not about money, but maybe it's just age. You know, all the history built up of um, disappointments and discouragement 
so that you find yourself in that place of diminished expectations. I'm not really asking much of you, God. And maybe God says, why not? What do you want? What do you want? Jesus asks that to this blind man. What do you want? What do you want from me? What do you want? The blind man with the courage that no one else held that day said, I want to see. I want to see. Sick of this begging life. Sick of sitting here with everyone looking at me with scorn or pity, like I'm some dirtbag. I want to be like everyone else. I want to see. And Jesus says, then see, be healed. Your faith has made you well. That's my hope for ICC, that we would be that kind of courageous praying church that would be childlike enough and naive and stupid enough to dream some pretty big dreams, that we would forget about polite manners and decorum and be willing to be a little messy and sloppy and humble and come before God with a little bit of desperation and say, I am in need. I am in need. I need you, Jesus. Underneath this facade of a well-kept life, I feel like I'm sinking inside. I feel like a little piece of me is dying every day. I need you. I need you. I pray that we are that kind of desperate church that isn't afraid to show our true colors, but could stand before others and say, I am broken. I need Jesus every day. Let me just invite you right now to come before him in prayer. Maybe through the prompting of the Holy Spirit, God is going to invite you. What do you want? What do you really want out of life? And maybe he's going to invite you to pray some pretty big prayers in this season of your life. Let's come before him in prayer.